Sometimes we idealize these first century churches. These churches that Paul wrote to, sometimes we get an idealized version of what they were like. We think that they were some kind of super saint, some kind of genetically modified uh, super saint that had a different version of the Holy Ghost than we do, uh, that had some kind of advantages that we don't have. And uh, we can look at them and think these were super mature, super unified, super focused people. And sometimes they were, and sometimes they were a mess. And this Corinthian church seems to be, I don't know how else to say it, they seem like they're almost a problem child for Paul. They managed to misunderstand and misapply almost everything he tells them. In fact, there's evidence in the New Testament it appears that Paul wrote perhaps upwards to even four letters to this Corinthian church. Now, not all of them maybe were as long as what we have as First and Second Corinthians, but there is evidence that Paul wrote some kind of note or letter to the Corinthian church in between First and Second Corinthians. Uh, it was probably just a short letter that was focused on one particular thing, but there's evidence that Paul really had to spend a lot of time on this particular church. And 2 Corinthians is really just a vivid, raw, realistic picture of what it is to live as a part of the church and do ministry as a person of God. So if you're engaged in the nuts and bolts of ministry, and I hope that you are, if you're living as part of the church today, and I hope that you are, this is a really fascinating letter. This is a letter that really gets our attention. It's full of a lot of insights, and it's very, very relevant. Another thing that's interesting is in 2 Corinthians, maybe more so than any other letter that he wrote, we get a really good portrait of Paul, the man Paul. He spends some time talking about himself. He, he has to defend his ministry a little bit. And it's easy, it's easy when we think about Paul to elevate him the same way we do these churches sometimes, to elevate Paul to some kind of demigod status, that this, he, was, he was like a superhuman, you know, super saint person. And, and, and certainly, Paul's someone to look up to. It's important to have people to look up to. But Paul was a regular human being, like you and me. And uh, he, he was just super committed, and he was super serious about the things of God. There's some key words in 2 Corinthians. If you've uh, read, I believe the reading plan would have taken us up to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, by today, and there's some key words in 2 Corinthians. One of them is the word fool. That shows up many, many times in this letter. The word fool shows up. Uh, this is uh, meaning foolishness or ridiculousness. Um, another word that shows up a lot of times in 2 Corinthians is the word service or ministry. That is a key word in this letter. It's a theme that shows up over and over again. And then another word that shows up in this letter that you're probably noticing a lot is the word boasting. Boast or boasting. Uh, it, that word has positive and negative connotations. It depends on what you're boasting in, right? If you're bragging and boasting on yourself, that's a, that's a negative. Uh, if you're boasting or glorying in God, well, that's, that has positive connotations. So that word shows up in 2 Corinthians quite a bit. So 2 Corinthians is all about ministry. If I were to choose one word, one theme, I feel like the word ministry uh, is the word, the theme that really guides the whole letter. And so 
That's how I want to present the outline of this letter. We did this for 1 Corinthians, and I want to do it for 2 Corinthians as well. 2 Corinthians, the best way that I found to break it up is into five pieces, and it follows the theme of ministry. The first is chapter 1, 2, and 3, and it is the crucial concerns of ministry. Paul spends some time talking about some of the essential, crucial things of ministry in those first three chapters. Then he takes two chapters, and he talks about, you'll see the theme, it's the ministry of reconciliation. We're going to come back to that in a minute, because that's kind of where I feel to camp out for a little while tonight. Then, chapters 6 and 7... Paul paints a realistic picture of ministry. A realistic picture of ministry. Paul spends some time talking about self-sacrificial ministry. The last portion of the book is chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13, and Paul takes that, and this is where we start to get a really neat portrait of the man, Paul. He talks about the true apostolic ministry, what life is like for him as an apostle, as a person who is committed to apostolic principles for life and ministry. He talks about that in that final section. So you see, there is a theme where Paul is continually going back to this theme of ministry over and over again. Ministry is service. Ministry is uh, not something that we... Uh, we're not thinking of capital M ministry like the ministry, like he's only talking about leaders in the church. That's not what he's talking about when he's talking about ministry. He's talking about ministry as one of those fundamental things that every believer participates in. We all have a place to serve in the kingdom. That's what ministry is. Ministry is service. And so there's pieces to this uh, in the first section, and this is on a handout that you received, and you might want to fill some of this in if if it helps you, if you're interested. The first section, Paul talks about the ministry of suffering. He talks about authentic forgiveness. He talks about new covenant ministry. Those are crucial concerns of ministry to Paul. You have to have those elements active. Uh, You have to understand what it is to be living in the new covenant, in the New Testament. You have to understand what it means to authentically forgive people. You have to understand what it means to live a life where there's suffering. And there's things that go wrong and, there's, and how to live as a Christian in light of the things that just happen in life. The second section is a ministry of reconciliation. This is where Paul writes about treasure in earthen vessels. He writes about being ambassadors for Christ and just doing effective ministry. Then in the middle of the book, he paints a realistic picture of ministry. He talks about good and bad relationships. He talks about joyful giving. Um, 
He talks about the joy of a good report. Self-sacrificial ministry is a section where he talks about examples of generosity and the ministry of giving. And then the final section of the book, he, it's a pretty gritty section where he just lays it all on the line. He talks about exposing fakes, boasting in weakness. Uh, that's where he talks about the thorn in his flesh and the sufficiency of grace and how grace carries us across the finish line. So before I get into any of the particulars of what I feel to lead us into tonight for a little while, I want to ask, are there any questions about anything in particular in 2 Corinthians that you've circled during your reading, if you've been reading through 2 Corinthians? Has anything stood out as a question so far? I want to open, open forum for a minute. I thought that might be the case because that's kind of too broad of a question, but I, I just figured I'd ask anyways. Tonight, I want to take a deeper look at that second section. Starting with chapter 4, verse 1, I want to turn your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, and I want to just look at those first six verses of that chapter. I'm going to read it in our hearing tonight out of the New King James Version. What Paul is doing when he opens up what we've labeled as chapter 4 is he's launching into a conversation, a discussion in this letter about what ministry is all about. And what he's doing is he's examining the origin point of our ministry. I want to read that with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I was talking to Bishop this afternoon and I remarked to him, uh, we don't hear a lot out of 2 Corinthians if it doesn't have to do with treasure and earthen vessels <laughs> or calling those things which be not as though they grace is sufficient for you. If it doesn't hit one of those notes, we don't get a lot of attention to 2 Corinthians. It's because 2 Corinthians is meat. 2 Corinthians, sometimes it isn't all in the shout in 2 Corinthians. Sometimes it's about the walk, and it's about the nuts and bolts of what's going on. And Paul takes some time in, I'm going to flip this over, Paul takes some time in this passage, maybe, and he, he opens up by saying, since we have this ministry, he's talking about ministry, and he's casting the widest net that he can, and he's saying, we have this ministry. This is something for all of us. This is something we're all engaged in. Paul's building a framework here in these six verses, the first six verses of chapter four, 
of a picture of effective, authentic ministry that every single believer is supposed to be engaged in. Let me skip ahead to the fifth chapter because it really shows us what Paul's driving towards, and it'll help us have some context for this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So when Paul opens up chapter 4, he says, since we have this ministry, what ministry is he talking about? He's talking about the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I want to focus on that passage uh, at the beginning of chapter 4. And I want to ask this question. How do you live out a ministry of reconciliation? If that's the ministry that's been given to us, since we have this ministry, Paul didn't say, since I have this ministry, since we have this ministry, what does it mean to live out a ministry of reconciliation? I want to ask, I want to address that tonight for a little while. I hope that we walk away with a a better answer, uh, maybe than we've ever had. Our ministry as believers is one of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a long word. We could just say it like this. We have a ministry of reconnecting people to God. Reconnecting people to God. So if you've ever asked the question, or maybe you're asking the question tonight, just in the last few minutes since I've started talking, how do I have a ministry? You're asking that. How do I have a ministry? Really want to know how to have a ministry? A personal ministry of reconnecting people to God? Paul starts to lay the framework for that out in the passage we just read, the first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So that's what I want our theme to be tonight. So if you're looking for something to scrawl across the top of your page, um, it would be reconnecting people to God or my personal ministry. I want to go verse by verse, and I want to show you that there's some steps that Paul gives us, some building blocks for that personal ministry of reconnecting people to God that all of us should have. Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. The The first step that I would commend to you, if you're interested in activating or building or having a personal ministry of reconnecting people to God, and I think it's something we should all strive for, is we have to remember that you are the recipient of great mercy. You're the recipient of great mercy. That's what Paul says. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. What is it that drives us? What is it that causes somebody to say, I need to be involved in the ministry of reconnecting people to God? That kind of drive is present in a person who remembers, I've been shown grace and mercy. 
just as we have received grace and mercy from God, Paul is saying we have to show that mercy to others. We have to be conduits of grace and mercy and the love of God to everyone we come into contact with. Because when we were floundering in our misery, in our despair, in all of our nonsense and mess that we were involved in before God, God reached down in Christ and sent a Savior to pull us out of the pit of sin that we were in. And even though we were messed up, even though we were dirtied and soiled and battered and not looking the part whatsoever, he cleaned us up and he saved us according to his great mercy. That is the, one of the fundamental building blocks of a personal ministry is just realizing the kind of person that I was and the kind of person that I get to be by the mercy and the grace of God. And Paul says when we gain a revelation of that, when we remember that element of mercy, it does something to our ministry. It causes us not to lose heart, is what Paul says. When we have a correct mentality of mercy and we have the stability that comes along with the knowledge that I've been granted mercy and grace by God, when we have our feet set on a solid rock because we know about the grace and mercy of God, it sets us on the right path. But hear what what I'm going to say tonight. It has to translate into action. It's not, it's, it's more than just being set on the rock and my feet are planted. But when we have a revelation of the grace and mercy of God, it leads us to say, I need to have a ministry of reconnecting people to God. I have to share this with other people. I have to take the time it takes to acquaint people with the kind of grace and mercy and the love of God that I know about in my life. And Paul tells us how Even though when our lives were useless and ineffective and we were just going about our own things and just kind of moving around in the dark, not knowing which direction to go, God reaches down and says, I can use you for great things. I can use you for things that you haven't even imagined yet. That's what he, if you've got your Bible open, you can see that in the next passage to follow in chapter four, that's when Paul starts to write about having that treasure in earthen vessels. For the clay pots, there's nothing really special about any one of us. We're all made out of the same thing. But when the Spirit of God moves in and He has grace and mercy on us, it changes everything. Changes everything. And I found myself thinking this afternoon, my oh my, what God can do through someone who has an understanding of what God has done in their life, who hasn't forgotten where He found them. What God can do in somebody's life. There's something contagious about that. Sometimes we lose that over time, don't we? We kind of lose that edge, don't we? But when we get reacquainted and we get back to the foot of the cross and we remember what the blood of Jesus costed and we remember the grace and mercy of God and that it wasn't cheap grace and it wasn't cheap mercy but it was very, very costly. It does something to us. It stirs us up. It gets us to the place. That's why Paul, I think, leads with it here. It stirs us up and makes us think, you know what? I have to have a personal ministry of reconciliation. I have to find somebody to connect to God. This is too good. 
to keep to myself. Remembering that you are the recipient of great mercy and then arranging your life in light of that causes you to not lose heart. That'll keep you going. That'll put fuel in your tank. When you're feeling worn out and you're feeling a little thin and you're feeling like, man, I'm trying to pour myself out and help people and, and I'm trying to, to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to, I'm trying to walk the walk and I'm trying to have that ministry of reconciliation, all you have to do is get back under the foot of the cross and say, you know what, I've been the recipient of great mercy and great grace and there's something that just fills you back up again. There's something that just fills you up again. Verse 2 says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending others to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Step two that I would offer to you tonight, if you're interested in a ministry of reconnecting people to God, and not just the idea of it, but having a personal ministry of reconnecting people to God. I think Paul says in verse 2 that if we're going to have a ministry like that, we have to live a certain way. A ministry like that isn't just a compartment of our life, but it's our whole life. It's our whole life. And I think there's a few things that Paul commends to us. He says we need to live openly, live openly, We need to live simply, and we need to live truthfully, openly, simply, and truthfully. If we live a life that's characterized by the hidden things that Paul mentions here, it's going to be a stumbling block to your ministry of reconnecting people to God. If you live a life that's characterized by a lot of things being complicated and a whole lot of drama and a whole lot of nonsense instead of just saying, I'm going to do everything I can to keep things as simple as I can. That stuff's going to get in the way of the ministry that I'm talking about. If we can't commit to living truthfully, not just in our speech, but in our actions, it's going to get in the way of this ministry that I'm talking about. So let me ask, let me ask, I want, I want, we haven't had much participation yet tonight, and we've been doing so good the last few weeks on this. What does it mean to you to live openly, to live simply, to live truthfully? Now, these things, there might be some overlap, I understand, but let's try to, let's try to handle each one kind of on their own. What's it mean to live openly? What you see is who you are. Okay, I was going to write it down. I was going to write everything down, but I'm going to run out of space, I feel like. I'm not a fast enough writer. What does it mean to live openly? To not hide your faith? Right. I think Paul was the kind of person that who he was in private was the same person he was in public, and vice versa. I think when Paul was not in Corinth, He was the same person when he was at Ephesus as he was in Corinth. He was the same person when he was with them in person. Then he was with them, two versions of Paul, and they woke up every day thinking, which one am I going to get today? 
living openly? What about living simply? Living simply. What does it mean to live simply? Um, I think it's possible to become so overburdened with unnecessary things in life. I'm not against having nice things. I'm not saying you have to live like a monk. But it's possible to become so overburdened with unnecessary things that some of the most important things, the things that in theory we really want to be a part of, like reconnecting people to God, kind of get tossed to the back burner. Living simply. Any other thoughts about living simply? Living simply is something that doesn't happen on accident. I know that's not deep revelation tonight, but it doesn't happen on accident. It happens on purpose. And it's not one decision. It is a series of decisions that takes place over time. It's the power of saying the word no. What about living truthfully? Living truthfully. So the the walk matches the talk. Living truthfully. Living with your life centered on the word of God. If you're going to live truthfully, you better find something true to put your life on top of. Because your emotions are going to get in the way sometimes. You better find something. You better find that solid rock. We can't just do it in our speech, can we? We have to do it in our lifestyle. And that's true of all these things. It has to, take, it has to translate into action. It has to translate into our habits. It has to take over our life. Uh, something, what was I thinking of earlier? I had an idea earlier. I thought of, I was thinking, oh, just part of this is being accountable. That's a word I wrote down earlier today because I was asking the question and answering it for myself. Being accountable. If you're going to live openly, you going to have to be accountable to somebody, forgiving people, staying away from gossip, staying away from things that happen in the shadows, the hidden things. That's what Paul calls them, the hidden things. Paul said if we'll live this way, if we'll live openly, simply, truthfully, and we'll present the gospel and we'll just get connected to what God's doing, Paul relied on the simple, unadulterated word of God to do its work. Paul didn't have any gimmicks. Paul didn't have any hidden agendas. Paul didn't have any complicated plans. Paul didn't have any deceitfulness or manipulation that he was trying to use. He just presented the word of God as it was and trusted that the spirit of God was going to do the work. And that's the building block of a ministry of reconciliation. It can be very tempting when you get involved with reconnecting people to God to try to do everything within your power to try to coerce and manipulate 
and convince and goad and whatever else to try to operate in the background and to abandon these principles. When Paul was living out something in the New Testament and he was commending it to the Corinthians and he's commending it to us today, that if we will have a knowledge of the Word of God and we'll have a walk with God that involves prayer and consecration, that we can just release the Word of God to do its work. And the people that are ready to receive will respond. And you'll have a ministry of reconnecting people to God, a personal ministry of reconnecting people to God, just like the Bible says. He just presented the plain, unvarnished truth of the gospel, and he depended on the Holy Ghost to do the work that he wants to do through the word being presented. And that's the same model that we can use today, openly, simply, and truthfully. But it, those words can't just define our ministry. They have to define our life. And we can't compartmentalize and, and, and partition off the two. We can't do it. Paul's saying this is the way we live if we want to have an effective ministry of reconnecting people to God. Are there any questions before I move on? I want to get into verses 3 and 4 together because it's one sentence. Right. Right. You have to you have to you have to want to stay away from sin. Sin gets in the middle of all this. We have to live a life not just, you know, we can't just I mean if the only time that I prayed was when I was fixing to step up here, that wouldn't be good. If the only time I prayed was I was fixing to walk into a Bible study with somebody or I saw that person that I've been waiting to have a conversation with, I said, oh, God, help me. Like, I keep sin out of my life. That's not going to keep me living a clean life, an open life, a simple life, a truthful life. So it's about our life. It's not just about the skills we have or about the anointing we feel like God has put on our life. It's about the way we actually live our life. Verses 3 and 4 says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, the third, the third step that I want to commend to you, that I believe the Apostle Paul is presenting to us in this passage, is you're going to have to let your light shine. And I know I just switched to a blue marker and someone's eyes twitching. I'm sorry. There's no going back now. If you're going to have a ministry of reconnecting people to God, to have a ministry like that, you have to let your relationship with God shine. You have to be what you say you are. And you have to... Sometimes you have to do more than just live it. Sometimes you have to say the words. Sometimes you have to have the boldness to, to speak and to speak up. 
We have to make the choice to engage. People have to make the choice with what they're going to do with the message. You can't force anybody to receive the message. You can't. That's, hear me, somebody hear me. That's out of your control. It's out of your control. We can't have a serious conversation tonight about them having a, having a, a ministry of reconciliation, a, of reconnecting people to God without acknowledging not everyone's going to respond the way that you want them to. Am I, am I speaking the truth tonight? I think it's unfair to have the discussion we're having tonight without acknowledging that out in the open and saying it out loud. But that should never stop you from letting your light shine. The Word of God says that you are the light of the world, the church. You are the light of the world. So I want to explain what verses 3 and 4 mean. It says if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. That word veiled just means they're blinded. They're blind to the message. They're blind to the truth. There's not a problem with the gospel. The gospel doesn't need to be changed. The message doesn't need to be improved upon. There's a problem with the heart. And we need to, what we have to do, we have to learn how to pray through and around circumstances like that. Have you ever tried to minister to somebody and they just don't seem receptive to it? Anybody? They just seem like they're walled off. What that is, is it's, they're, they're veiled. The, the, it, it's, the message is veiled to them. And we have to not just walk away and, and give up, but we have to pray about it. The, the only option we have left at that point is to pray about it. You don't get out the battering ram and start thumping them over the head. And you don't, you know, you don't find more uh, harsh or in-your-face methods to, that's not it. That's not the way. <laughs> the way is pray for them and pray specifically. God, you can name them by name. God, there's, there's someone in my life that I've been trying to, to work with. And God, I feel, like, I feel like there's a veil over their heart. I feel like there's, there's a blindness over them that they're not able to receive what I'm trying to give to them. Lord, I don't know how to remove that, but you do. You know exactly what circumstances need to happen. You know exactly what needs to occur so that that veil can be removed so that they're in a position to receive the message that you want them to receive. Can I remind us of something? God loves, us more than, loves them more than you do. God wants to see him saved more than I want to see him saved. And if we'll pray, who knows what the Lord might do? You might encounter them the next time, and they have a completely different attitude. They have a completely different outlook. Maybe, maybe they're in a better mood. Maybe the circumstances of their life has changed. Maybe God give them a dream. God still does that. Who knows what God might do that I can't do, that you can't do. But if we'll pray, God can do anything. He can do anything. He can, he can take the person that you feel like is the furthest away from wanting to know what the message, and he can change their mind. He can change their circumstances. He can shake up their life. And he can open the door for you. I wouldn't recommend kicking doors in. 
That doesn't work very much. But when the Holy Ghost gets involved, the Holy Ghost can penetrate into places that you and I can't get into. Paul was writing from some experience here. Paul was a guy who knew what it was to be blinded about the truth. You remember how Paul's story starts out? He's Saul of Tarsus. He thinks he's got all the answers. He thinks there's nothing more that he needs to know about God. He has it. He's got the corner on it. And then he's on the road to Damascus one day in Acts chapter 9 and gets knocked down into the dirt and has a vision, a personal encounter with Jesus. And everything changes. And all of a sudden, the veil and the blindness that was on Paul's life and on his heart, everything got pulled away, and he became the most radical Christian that we see in the whole New Testament. He was willing, all of a sudden, here's the guy, he's willing to go places and do things that no one else is willing to do. Changes everything. You better believe there were some people that were trying to help Paul understand how can we, how can we convince Paul, how can, we, how can we get through Paul's heart, but it took an act. I think there were some people praying for Paul. They may have been praying desperate prayers because Paul may have been on his way to come get them, but they were praying for Paul. God, something has to change in Saul's life. Something, God, you have to make the difference in Saul's life. There's a veil over his heart. He's blind. He's stubborn. He can't see it, God. I don't know why he can't see it. He's got so much education. He can't see it. He's had so much success in life. He can't see it. There's been so much pain in his life. He can't see it. But God, you can break through and make the difference. That's the way we have to pray. God still does it. If God will do it for Saul of Tarsus, God will do it for our loved ones. He'll do it for the people that we're trying to reconnect to God. The word of God says, these people that fit into this category, that are living this reality, says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. He's talking about the adversary. He's talking about the devil. Jesus says, now the judgment of this world, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan. The adversary works relentlessly to keep people blinded to the message. Do you know that? Relentlessly. The adversary works non-stop to keep people distracted, to keep people unwilling to see, to keep people blinded by their success, blinded by their pain, blinded by their entertainment, blinded by their calendar and their schedule, satisfied by worldly pleasures. The enemy works relentlessly and uses whatever angle he can to keep people blinded to the message of Jesus. Jesus addressed it when he told a parable one time in Mark chapter 4, parable of soil. He said, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are ones who are sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are ones sown among thorns. When they are ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in, 
choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. These are the mechanisms that the adversary uses, the God of this age, the one who is working in the background, trying to keep people from hearing, from really seeing the message of Jesus Christ. He works relentlessly. And we have to know we're in a ministry of reconciliation. It has to be accompanied by a prayer life. I'm the biggest advocate in the world for having a knowledge of the Word of God. I think you need to know it backwards and forwards. I hope that you're able to present it in a way that's attractive and that's understandable and, and that somebody can, can get a hold of and they can see it and say, wow, I've never seen that before. But if we don't have a ministry of prayer that accompanies that, that gets to the places that we can't get on our own, it doesn't matter how good we get at presenting the Word of God. It doesn't matter how eager we are to have that conversation with that person. If there is a veil over their heart, it's something that prayer needs to go forth for. We have to have that ministry of prayer because we're not warring against flesh and blood. But against spiritual wickedness and powers in high places. We have to deal with it with prayer. That's why we're doing what we're doing when we pray over the names in these baskets. We had a great prayer meeting Monday night. If you're available this coming Monday night, we're going to have another prayer meeting, and we're going to call these names out in prayer, and that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, let there be an awakening. I don't know why I'm pa- I've paused longer on this than I anticipated, but we need an awakening in our area. There's people that, that are ready, the, that on the outside you would think they are the best candidates that they're ready to live for God, but there's a veil over their heart. There needs to be a spiritual awakening. There needs to be a move of God that happens, and we must pray to that end. We have to consistently intercede to that end. Verse 5 says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake. Step four to having a ministry. I'm going to go back to the black marker. Step four is you have to have a mentality that it's not about me. It's not about me. You can't have a ministry like Paul is describing, of reconnecting people to God and have a me-first mentality. It's simply incompatible. It will not work. You will not have an effective ministry of sharing the gospel, of making a disciple with a me-first mentality. You need to have a ministry, but the message is not me. The message is him. Our message is Jesus Christ the Lord. And you may, you may think tonight, Brother Dustin, why does that even bear saying out loud? I don't know. Why did Paul have to write it? Because there's something in our heart that likes to recenter ourselves on ourselves. We like to be the hero in every story. We like to be the best. We like to be the center of attention. And it takes a conscious effort to center our life, our talk, our ministry, our message on him 
instead of ourselves. Right. I'm going to repeat that for everybody. It's possible to win the argument and lose the opportunity to be a witness. Mm -hmm. Right. It is sometimes all in the presentation. You've heard people say, I'm just being honest. (laughs) Like, yeah, you're being honest, but you're being a jerk too. You know, um, it's not very Christ-like. And sure, sometimes the truth offends, but we have to speak the truth in love. That's right. 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 If our life is not congruent with our message, our message is in vain. That's the essence of what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. If we want to go to Ten Commandments time, it does. Living openly. You're absolutely right, Sister Deaver, living openly. Right, not under a bushel, but openly. Look at how Paul, he says it different ways in different places. Look at how he says it in this verse. And this is not palatable to us, but it's there and we're going to look at it. (laughs) We're going to force ourselves to look at it. It says, and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. You know what that word bondservants is? It's the nice old English word that really should read slave. But we don't like the word slave. So we use bondservant, which means the same thing. It just isn't the word slave. You are. Right. Right. There was a song someone wrote one time, you're going to serve somebody. We are the servants, the slaves of others. And what's the word say? The last three words, for Jesus' sake. We are the slaves of others for Jesus' sake. I don't know about you, but that rattles my cage. That's, that gets in my face a little bit. But that's what the Word says. We have to let the Spirit and the Word of God do the work and let it pierce through the darkness and the veil that's open in our weakness. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about in the next passage when he talks about the clay pots, the earthen vessels. We are 
the earthen vessels, and we have treasure in these earthen vessels. We don't preach ourselves. The clay pot is not the message. What's in the clay pot is the message. Sometimes we have to get out of our own way. The book of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and tints of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We do not preach ourselves. Paul, this is a theme that Paul goes back to over and over and over again in his letters. I do not preach myself. I do not come with man's wisdom. I don't come with eloquent words. I preach Jesus. We present Jesus. And anything that draws attention to our talents, our gifts, our resources, our abilities is defeating the point We must keep Jesus at the front. We must preach Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are merely the bondservants, the slaves, upon whom God has shown mercy. He bought me back, and now I belong to him. And now he uses me. He assigns things to me. And he has assigned each one of us the ministry of reconciliation of reconnecting people to him. Verse 6, the final verse of our passage, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the final building block, the, the keystone, the last thing that I want to point out from this passage, that if you want to have a ministry like this of reconnecting people to God, this is one thing that has to be present. He has a vision of the big picture. That's it. He has a vision of the big picture, and he appreciates the big picture, and he loves the big picture. And here's what it is. The the big picture is this. It's in verse 6. The same God who spoke literal light into existence is the same God who has shined the light of revelation into your heart. That's huge. That's huge. How has he done it? He says he's done it in the face in the identity of Jesus Christ. That same God who is your creator has become your savior. There's a song. You may have already thought about it. I thought about it this afternoon. I wish I told my wife, I wish I was one of those singing preachers. My God and Savior came, and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger, to his own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears, and agony. Oh, how I love him, how I adore him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all. The great creator became my savior, and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. What condescension, bringing us redemption, that in the dead of night, not one faint hope in sight. God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, to save my soul. Without reluctance, flesh and blood his substance, he took the form of man and revealed the hidden plan. O glorious mystery, sacrifice of Calvary, and now I know thou art the great I am. O how I love him, how I adore him, my breath, my sunshine, my all in all. The great creator 
became my Savior, and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. That's what Paul says in verse 6. The great creator became my Savior. The one who spoke light into existence is the one who has shown the light of the gospel into our hearts. And that's what we ought to believe about the topic that Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the first six verses. Each one of us needs a ministry that matches our message. If the song, the words to the song that I just read is your message, if you believe that, you need a ministry that matches that message. And the ministry that matches that message is the ministry that Paul has been talking about in this passage. It is a ministry of reconnecting people to God. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we get it right? Because there is a world of people who are wondering if there's any more to life than what they've experienced. Whether that's despair or success or probably some combination of both. And you have the message of reconciliation that can truly reconnect them to God, that their creator became their savior. I think it would, I think it would be appropriate just for a few minutes tonight before we dismiss to pause and have a word of prayer. And I think just in a few minutes of prayer, I think we can accomplish a great deal. And there's two things that I want us to unify together in prayer about. The first is, God, and don't pray this if you don't mean it. God, change and grow me in my ministry to match what I see in this passage. Lord, convict me, grow me, and change me. Lord, I want to have a, me- a, a, a ministry that matches my message. I want a personal ministry of reconnecting people to God. The second thing I want us to pray about, I think it'd be all right to call out the names of those you want to see reconnected to God. I think it's always appropriate to do that. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Can we use our voices and pray right now just for a little while and just say, God, for a few minutes, I just want to commit this word into my heart. Can you pray with me right now? Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray over this assembly that's gathered here in this sanctuary right now. Lord, we've said under the ministry of your word for this past hour. Lord, I pray that you would change and grow me. Lord.